Well, hello, fans and supporters of Biblical Genetics. Thank you so much for tuning in to another exciting episode. Uh, this week is going to be a discussion on a very controversial topic. I mean, it's controversial between creation and evolution. It's even controversial within creationism. And it's the subject of natural selection. But see, I'm going to do something I consider pretty radical. I'm going to claim that not only is natural selection part of the creation model, but that it would have been in effect in Eden and on the earth before Adam fell into sin. In other words, it's part of God's created order. I wrote an article about this, which is available on creation.com. That'll be available in the show notes. I'd highly encourage you to read it, uh, but also listen to this episode because I'm going to add a few things that aren't available in the print version. I would highly encourage you to read that article after this listening is over and all the other show notes also I include in there because there's some really cool places where this conversation goes. This spins off into all sorts of interesting and fascinating directions. But the question of natural selection is a difficult one because it sounds like evolution, but it's not. And I try really hard to explain why it's not and why it, it actually fits in a God-created universe. Before we get into the show itself, I do want to thank my supporters. I know that I had a, a lengthy gap of no episodes and last week's episode came up, and some of you came through. Thank you so much. I'm just trying to cover my costs. I have costs with my website, uh, the Blueberry Service is the podcast hoster, and um, a, a few other things that are monthly costs for me. I'm just trying to cover my bases so that I'm not in the hole, even though I'm really loving this project. And you all, so far, you've been really, really, really good to me. And I, I do so much really appreciate it. Now, I know that a lot of podcasters beg for money. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say thank you. And if you would like to donate, it's easy to do. There's a link in the show notes on the Buy Me a Coffee app. Now, the world of genetics is an amazing place. I spent all day today, literally all day, from 8 a.m. until well after 5, reading a series of articles in this week's Science Magazine on the human genome. I think about seven different articles. But this is a really cool thing. What they did was they looked at genetic expression and they compared all the variants in the genome to see how they affected which sections of the genome are turned to RNA in which different tissues between the sexes and between the races. And oh man, I'm going to do an entire episode on this. I'm writing the article right now uh, for creation.com. But it's going to take me a while to write the article because it's so complicated. And I'm trying to distill this information down into ways that people can understand it. But I'm just so so excited to be a geneticist right now. There are so many amazing things happening and so many confirming and faith-affirming things are being discovered in genetics. And the complexity of the genome is one of the most amazing things that I love to study because it's just screaming God from top to bottom. That's not the subject of today's episode. Today's episode is going to be natural selection. So let's get into it. Here we have natural selection in paradise. For this episode of Biblical Genetics, I want to come to a place that was as much like paradise as I could find. Now, I live in West Georgia, and most people don't think this is paradise, but you don't know what you're missing, except in the summertime when it's really hot and mosquitoes are biting and there's chiggers and poison ivy. But this is as paradise-like as I could find within about a half an hour drive of my house. I came to the Etowah Indian Mound Historical Site, 
And someday in the future, I'm going to have an episode on biblical genetics on Native American DNA. And I'm almost certain I'm going to come back here because there's some really, really amazing archaeology here. But I want to discuss a controversial topic, and the topic is natural selection. I wrote an article that appeared in creation.com called Natural Selection in Paradise. And in that article, not only did I claim that natural selection is part of the biblical model, but that it would have been in operation in Eden. And it will be in operation once again in the renewed heaven and earth that God has promised when he restores everything. You see, uh, we're not going to be angels with wings and harps floating on clouds. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says God is going to recreate the heavens and the earth. Now, will there be animals and plants and trees and things like that? I think so. I'm not certain, but I think so. Because the goal is to restore that which was fallen. And that which fell was Eden. And the earth in paradise with no sin, with no death, with no suffering. Those things changed when Adam rebelled against God. And so Jesus promises he's going to remake it all. Therefore, paradise. But people are confused on this topic. I mean, they're like, is, is natural selection even true? Or doesn't natural selection prove evolution and things like that? And I'm going to say, yes, it's true. And no, it doesn't prove evolution. But let me give you a definition. After the definition has been said, maybe we can understand it a little better. Here's how it works. Natural selection is simple. It's the idea that some organisms have more offspring than others. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. It doesn't involve death. It doesn't involve suffering. It's simply some things have more offspring because they're better suited to the environment than some other things. Piece of cake. Now, once we define it that way, we get rid of all the death and doom and gloom stuff that Charles Darwin and all his disciples since then have talked about. We also get rid of the idea that nature's doing selecting because no, nature's not alive. Nature's not sentient. Nature can't do anything. And no one ever meant natural selection to mean that nature actually has a guiding hand in anything. Now, this is random, accidental, providential, if you like. There's nothing in nature that's thinking through these issues. It deals with the innate character of something. Now, later on, the Greeks and the Latins and the medieval scholars and medieval peoples, they personified nature, talking about mother nature and things like that. But the word nature itself doesn't mean paganism. It means something inherent within something else. So the trees in the background, it is their nature to grow. It's their nature for some of them to produce acorns or walnuts or no nuts at all, depending on what tree species they are. The grass here, it's the nature of the grass to remain low on the ground, to grow, produce little seeds and then die. This is natural. So no, nature's not alive. Nature's not actually doing anything. And now that we can dispel that, we can continue on with the discussion. Now, Charles Darwin made natural selection the centerpiece of evolutionary theory when he wrote the title to his book. Most people just say it on the origin of species, but the full title is on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life, which he published in 1859. Now, by means of natural selection, he was saying that natural selection is that which drives the diversity of all life on Earth. And he imagined that enough selection over enough time can explain the common ancestry of all things. Now, I don't believe that for a second, but I do believe that natural selection is a real force in the real world, and it does cause things to change over time. Now, not being happy with that definition or that phrase, Herbert Spencer, friend of Darwin, he came up with another phrase called survival of the fittest. You've probably heard that, but you know, that phrase is not very helpful either because who's the most fit? Is it the strongest, the fastest, the one with the best eyesight, the smartest? Well, no, 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 and no. By definition in evolutionary theory, the most fit 
is the organism that has the most offspring. Oh, and you don't have to die or live to be more fit or less fit. I mean, think about salmon. They spend their lives out on the ocean. They swim upstream one time, they spawn, and then they die. But think about these trees behind me. These trees can live for hundreds of years and produce fruit, acorns or whatever, every single year. Or the corals that I studied in graduate school. Once a year in the middle of the summer, they would release billions of eggs into the water. And they could do this for centuries, many centuries. So there's some coral colonies that are many, many, many hundreds of years old. And there's other organisms that live for a season and die. In fact, some of the organisms that live in this river right here, the ephemeroptera, the mayflies, they live in the water for a couple of years, they come out, they breed, and then they die. But even Darwin cooled on the idea of natural selection. Over time, enough people had contradicted him and commented and critiqued him and criticized him, and he was constantly backing up. In fact, you can look at the different editions of The Origin of Species. The first one was a debacle of citing. He did not have proper citations, and all these ideas he put into his book actually were other people's ideas. And as the editions grow, you can see him, oh yeah, this person actually said that, and this person said that, and this person first came up with this idea. And all these other people start appearing in the pages of different editions of The Origin of Species that were not in the first one. But as he's doing this, he's actually backing down. And 12 years after Origin, he publishes The Descent of Man, where he finally talks about the evolution of man. And in that book, he admits that he put too much weight behind natural selection. And then he introduces very controversial topics like kin selection, group selection, sexual selection. So we have this confusing idea of natural selection, which really isn't that big a deal. Again, it's simply some organisms are more fit to the environment and they have more offspring because of it. That's it. It's not about life and death. It's not about evolution. It's not even about struggle. Now, I'm going to claim that natural selection is a part of the creation model and that it would have been in operation before Adam fell. Had Adam lasted long enough, and if we were not in a sinful fallen state today, natural selection would be in operation for a couple of reasons. First, when God created life, he could easily have front-loaded the living organisms that he created with tons of latent genetic information that over time would start popping out either through recombination, where chromosomes recombine and bring genes together that were never together before, and all of a sudden you could be homozygous for two genes next to each other that in creation they actually might have been in opposite chromosomes. So you could have things popping out that are brand new that did not exist ever before. It's information that's buried in the genome that can be revealed over time. But there's also the possibility that retrotransposons, yeah, big word, I know, jumping genes, sections of DNA that can circularize and pop out of the genome. We know that they pop around in our brain as our brains are developing. And different brain cells actually have different genomes because the retrotransposons are changing the DNA of the brain cells. I talked about that in an episode, I think it was episode number eight, show notes. So it's possible that retrotransposons can jump around and actually change DNA, which would cause change over time. So we've got all sorts of different ways of making new genetic information in the genome. Yes, genetic information can be changed and it can be rearranged to have brand new traits that never existed before. Now, what exactly is information in the genome? Look up in the show notes, two articles that I'm gonna post there on genetic information. Really good stuff, but I'm gonna not spend time on this episode on that topic. I know I'd probably just open up a giant can of worms. Okay, now we know what natural selection is. 
And now we know that genetic changes can happen over time. Let's talk about environmental variation. Even in paradise, the environment is not going to be constant. I mean, given millions of years in paradise, the Earth's going to wobble on its axis a little bit. Given a long time in paradise, rivers are going to transport sediments to the sea. River deltas will grow. Shallow lakes will dry up. Maybe there's an elephant or a herd of elephants in this area, and they're coming around and they're eating a tree. And maybe these trees on average last 100 years, and then they get eaten. Well, that's going to open up a sun patch on the bottom of the forest floor. And that sun patch is going to change which plants can grow there and which can't. So we have environmental variability built into the model. Not a lot of environmental variability. I don't think, you know, meteors are going to come and destroy half the earth. And I don't think volcanoes are going to wipe out half of Eden or anything like that. But even in a static environment, we can still have change over time in the genetics. Imagine a mountain that's covered in oak trees and the top of the mountain is very dry. The bottom of the mountain maybe is next to a river and some swampy areas. And there's oaks, one species of oaks on the entire mountain. Now, what do you think is going to happen over time if there's genes within that oak population that allow some of the oak trees to tolerate wet roots and some of the oak trees to tolerate dry roots? What do you think is going to happen on the top of the mountain? Given 10 generations of oak trees, well, the oak trees that like dry roots are going to produce a lot more acorns. It's not about life and death. It's just who produces the most amount of offspring in the future generation. And so when an elephant eats a tree and a sunlight patch opens up and a, uh, oak trees are going to sprout, which oak trees are going to be sprouting in the swamp? Which oak trees are going to be sprouting on the top of the mountain? You can get a fractionation. You can get differential reproduction, which is really what natural selection is, differential reproduction, without suffering, without death, in a perfect environment where everything is happy and good. Now, wait a minute. Are trees dying? No, trees aren't alive. Are insects dying? No, insects aren't alive. The biblically, life means something that breathes, nefesh chaya in Hebrew. It's a soulish thing. It's something with a breath of life in it. Animals and man are soul-ish. Now, man is special because God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Animals came up out of the ground. God said, let the earth produce. There's a difference there. I'm not saying bunny rabbits go to heaven. That would be ridiculous. Oh, I think there's an article that I'm going to write in the show notes with that exact title, actually. The definition of the word evolution means change over time. But I believe in change over time, and yet I don't believe in evolution. Why? Because really, to define evolution, you have to say enough change over enough time leads to the common ancestry of all things. No, change over time is actually part of the creation model. And you're not going to get super complex things like photosynthesis and sexual reproduction and all those crazy complicated things that happen in the cell in, in a simple system of mutation plus selection. But it does work in the creation model. It is absolutely part of the biblical model of creation. In fact, I believe that natural selection was in place at creation. It's not a part of the fall. Natural selection on steroids is what we see now. Natural selection, a very gentle form of it, operating extremely slowly over vast periods of time without suffering and death is part of the creation model. Go to creation.com and look up my article, Natural Selection in Paradise. There'll also be a link below. And thank you to all the people who are supporting my show through the Buy Me A Coffee app. You can click on that link below or go to biblicalgenetics.com and click on the link. Easy to find, easy to do. One coffee, three coffee, five coffees, whatever. That's how I've chosen to fund this production. Thank you much for listening. Have a blessed day.